Chapter Three of The Wind by Dorothy Scarborough. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Abayi in July two thousand twenty one. Chapter Three Sand muffled the sound of their approach. Not until Lige stopped the horse and called out, Hello, the house. Anybody home? was the door opened. Then Cousin Bev came out quickly, hands outstretched, and face alight with welcome. In an instant Letty was over the wheels of the high buggy and in his arms, all her terrors, all her apprehensions and her woes forgotten at the sight of a home face. She trembled with ecstatic rebound of spirit, of joy, after her misery. Cousin Bev meant home, the dear past, her happy childhood brought back miraculously after a nightmare of distress. She clutched him close with little cries of love and joy, and babbled his name over and over again. Oh, Cousin Bev, Cousin Bev, it's so good to see you again. It's great to have you here, he ejaculated, his own voice husky, his own eyes misty with tears, as if he, too, had known homesickness and longing for a past that Texas had blotted out. Then suddenly he seemed to remember. Here's your cousin Cora, he said, disengaging himself from her arms and turning her round to face his wife, who stood beside them. Letty caught her breath for an instant in admiration. Such a magnificent woman! Tall, like some goddess of the prairie, deep-bosomed, with noble, softly flowing lines like a statue, erect, instinct, with vibrant, magnetic life. Her eyes were golden-brown, with slumbering fires in them, her hair was a coppery red piled high on her head, her skin a warm cream, with a few little amber freckles, like beauty spots, across her finely shaped nose. Letty stepped forward impulsively, then hesitated, feeling a chill of doubt. Cousin Cora kissed her, it is true, but with reservations, coldly, as one would touch hands with a stranger. And did she imagine it, Letty asked herself, or did the gold-brown eyes have in them a look of disapproval, almost of hostility toward her? Cousin Bev hurried them into the house. Was he merely trying to get them in out of the icy wind, or was he bridging over a difficult moment? He helped Letty off with her coat and hat. And the children, you haven't seen them, he cried. He herded them forward, gaily for her inspection, like a small boy that empties his pockets of his treasures to show some loved one how rich he is. This is Beverly Junior, or Junior for short. He laid his hand on the shoulder of a sun-browned boy of ten, slender, wiry, with his father's dark eyes and hair and sensitive mouth. And this is Dan. He's eight. Dan was more like his mother, but with more freckles peppering his face. And here's Alice. He pushed forward a little girl who looked as if she might be six, 
a child of nondescript dust-coloured eyes and hair and a thin nervous little face letty put her arm around the child she doesn't look like either one of you she said no said the mother i tell her she's a stray her father cut in quickly to save the daughter's feelings she's more like me inside of her than any of the children she huddled against him with adoring eyes here's the one that's like me cora announced as she went to the bed in the corner of the room and lifted up a half-awakened baby this is little cora the child was adorable her cheeks softly flushed with sleep her head a mass of coppery curls that clung closely her mouth pursed shyly her head leaning against her mother's arm for protection from the stranger oh what a darling letty cried how old is she she's a yearling answered the mother her face softening magically as she looked down at the baby held in the curve of her arm she's got her daddy's dark eyes see bev's got a right likely bunch of young cattle here drawled lige as he smilingly surveyed the group the baby crowed and leaped with delight in her mother's arms as if she understood the compliment and flapped her arms toward him in invitation he snatched her from her mother's arms and swung her gaily toward the ceiling till she squealed with glee and clutched his hair in her hands this is the only young lady that ever admired me he announced solemnly as he extricated his hair from her tenacious fingers so folks take good care of her i aim to marry her when she grows up before she's old enough to have sense enough to turn me down he returned her to her mother and began to button his coat again he had not taken it off merely loosed it to warm up a moment but you're not going objected bev you must spend the night yes don't snatch yourself away in the heat of the day like this cut in cora he smiled nope better get back that partner of mine is plum devoured with jealousy now because i got to go for the lady instead of him i got to get back and pacify him else he's liable to go into high strikes no it's cold you've got to stay all night cora ordered flashing her imperious glance at him that's the word with the bark on it he smiled again a broad-mouthed white-toothed smile then added cheer to the room sta bueno the boss of the outfit has spoke i didn't aim to put you out none was all course i'm tickled as a box of possum heads to stay so that was settled and presently cora left the room and went into the kitchen adjoining where the rattle of dishes the clatter of stove lids in preparation for supper began to be heard letty wondered timidly if she should go in and offer to help would it be better to seem lazy and indifferent or risk a rebuff she finally decided to stay where she was for she felt a certain protection in the presence of cousin bev and yes of lige too she listened quietly as the men talked about ranch affairs 
of round-ups and cattle rustlers and fall drives matters that sounded mysterious and dramatic to her ignorant ears this life of the west was so different from that she had known should she ever learn its ways its language its responsibilities she had a chance to study cousin beth's face at leisure now and she found it changed from what she had remembered as a child it had been twelve years since cousin beth had left virginia to come to texas but her six-year-old heart had kept its picture of him he had been tall and dark-eyed and wonderful to look at pale and slender like a prince in a fairy tale all the girls had been in love with him her mother had said because he was as good as he was handsome but because he had a touch of lung trouble and had had a hemorrhage he had made up his mind to go to texas where the plains were high and dry and he could get well afterward when she was older her mother had often told her of how hard it was for him to say good-bye to miss rose douglas but he had thought it wouldn't be fair to say a word of love or ask a promise from her that would bind her to a man that might be doomed to die in a short time so he had gone away without telling her he loved her though he must have known she loved him too she remembered how miss rose had often come to see her mother and talked about him but after the day when her mother had shown her the letter from him the short note that said so little except that he was married to cora she had never come again letty remembered as if it had been yesterday the look on miss rose's face the stricken look in her eyes the desperate pride with which she held her head erect how terrible it was for a proud woman to love a man who married someone else why why had it all come about like this she glanced through the open door and had a swift glimpse of cora at the kitchen stove her face flushed and vivid her hair tossed and glowing with life and she felt she understood this blinding beauty had caught him and fettered him against his heart then she remembered miss rose douglas with her quiet dignity her slim delicate hands that played the piano in the twilight like one dreaming of sad beautiful things and she wondered once more life was strange her eyes traced the changes in cousin bev's face he looked older yes more than twelve years older though he was not pale now but sun-browned as a mexican his face in repose was sad though it had the look of health and his eyes were wistful but one who had had lung trouble even if it got over it and who had lived twelve years in the sand desert tormented by the wind would not be so bright of eye so blithe of mien as before and a wife and four children to be responsible for were calculated to sober a man yes no doubt but in her mind persisted the memory that a child's love had held preciously of a gay and gallant figure dancing riding horseback with the girls his steed curvetting with pride of the rider cousin bev starting off on a fox hunt in the early morning the pack of hounds baying all about him 
cousin bev dressed for a fancy dress ball in the costume of his cavalier ancestor whose picture had hung over the mantel in the old drawing-room at home now he had on a dark flannel shirt collarless turned in at the neck rough trousers and heavy boots he was only thirty-six now and he looked older older how strange how filled with awe was life with its time and change presently as cora called chuck's ready they trooped into the back room that was a combination dining-room and kitchen the meal was rather a noisy one for cora was not fond of silences her own or another's she thumped the dishes onto the table poured the coffee clatteringly and did most of the talking herself as if not trusting such an important function to any one less experienced now and then beverly tried to draw letty into the conversation but she was shy so that she found it easier to listen than to talk what are we cattlemen going to do if this drought keeps up beverly asked lige i don't know looks like this section had got into a habit of not raining a regular rain a gully washer and toad strangler would be worth a fortune to this country how long has it been asked letty a long time he said with a shake of his head the cattle are beginning to feel it too course these here range cattle have never been used to being humoured with water or grass much them critters can chaw a mesquite torn or a prickly pear leaf and call it a hearty meal but they're getting to feel abused now when they don't get their fourth of july or their christmas drink yes agreed bev soberly lige grinned what we need is to cross those old longhorns with camels so's they can stand the drought better don't you reckon it'll rain soon asked junior well son i can hope loud on anybody but it ain't no use ribbing myself up about it when there ain't so much as a cloud in the sky and i begin to feel restless when these old sonora reds bawl at me rebukingly like i was the joshua that stopped the rain but what will you do if it doesn't rain questioned letty in her previous life rain had always been taken for granted like air well ma'am that i can't say i can't read the future because i've never had much education my mind hops round like a grasshopper with a hind leg off or else it travels backwards like a doodle-bug there ain't no dependence to be put in it when it comes to the future his face was less homely when it was lighted by his cheerful grin but his mouth was so wide she told herself it travelled back almost to his ears when he smiled to those ears that stuck out too prominently why hadn't his mother smoothed down those ears when he was little but at least it was a kindly good-humoured face one that you could trust she could fancy a lost dog would take hope from that face a child in trouble would be sure of a comforter beverly spoke morosely i've been cleaned out once by a drought hope it don't happen again 
Cora spoke up with flashing vivacity. Oh, cut out the gloom. Don't be like a turkey buzzard, flapping round and waiting for something to die. What will it matter if a few cow critters do die, as long as you are not a corpse? A lot of difference if they are my herd. She tossed her russet head. No matter what comes, be cheerful. You'll live a sight longer. If we get starved out here, we can pile the kids in a covered wagon and start out to new grass. I always did like to travel. I've seen a few covered wagons already, answered Lige. Dry years brings them out. A lot of poor fools come out to the west and fail because they're not fit for the life here. I've seen folk try to ranch that could scarcely tell a horned frog from an alligator. And when they fail, they blame it unto the West, cried Cora with contempt. Folks that haven't got any more backbone than a twined string had better stay in some softer place than this. Yes, some fellows that come out here ain't calculated to last any longer than a clean shirt in a dog-fight. There have been times when I was almost discouraged myself, times when I thought my luck had went out like Lottie's eye. But it don't do to give up. Lige reached a long arm across the table for the syrup pitcher. Well, if a drought was anything a feller could prevent by hard work or worry, I'd say worry. But when it's not, then why be miserable over it? demanded Cora. It oozes your energy away to worry and be scared of things. It just makes them happen when maybe they wouldn't any other way. She looked incarnate health and optimism, as if her superb body had never known a pain, or her mind a moment's anxiety over anything. The West must be a bearable place, after all, if it could produce such a magnificent creature as she was, Letty told herself. It was as if the boundless energy of the plains, the stored-up vigour of the long centuries that had waited for human life to inhabit these prairies, had expressed themselves in her. Yet was she like nature herself, contemptuous of weaklings, impatient and disregardful of others less capable than herself? Could one who had never suffered sympathise with another's pang of body or mind or soul? On a ranch in those days people went to bed early, because they must rise at dawn to get their work done, and so that first evening was not a long one. Letty was tired out from her ride, her eyes ached from the sting of the wind and sand, and so she was glad when Cora told her to take her place in the children's room. She crept in beside Alice, who was already curled into a ball in the middle of the bed, and listened to the breathing and the thrashing sound of the two boys in another bed across the room. The air was close, as the windows were tight shut to keep out the wind and sand and cold. Letty snuggled up to Alice for warmth and dropped off to sleep. She was awakened later to hear a sound outside, in the distance, it seemed, a long, lupine howl, lugubrious, dolorous, its inflections dying off into a wail, as if some lost soul stood alone on the desolate prairie and gave voice to its despair. 
then that lonely voice was answered by a series of short quick yelps as of half a dozen distressed puppies then a commingling of yelps she shook little alice awake alice what is that she panted oh nothing but coyotes and a lobo alice rolled herself into a ball again and lapsed into sleep nothing but coyotes nothing but a pack of wolves loose on the prairie howling with nothing to stop their approach to the house the sounds at first far off were coming nearer nearer should she rouse the household to companion her terror then cora would be contemptuous better to lie quiet those two men in the house would not let harm come if they could prevent it but could they her soul writhed before dark terrors as she lay there alone coyotes and wind what roddy had told her of how terrible they were to a woman the next morning lige left early to go to his ranch beverly departed on horseback to see about his cattle and letty began to realize what would be the program for not only that day but for the days in general that stretched ahead she comprehended that for the most part men in the west lived out of doors as their work took them there while she would stay in the house with cora and the children at least until the cold was over she would be shut up inside the house a prisoner hiding from the wind as she went about helping cora with the morning's tasks she examined her prison the house had four rooms one a combination dining-room and kitchen with its cooking stove its table covered with oilcloth its cupboard in the corner to hold the dishes and the food its few chairs the room occupied by cora and beverly showed scant concession to beauty but only stern practical utility but it was neat with its oak bed covered with a log cabin quilt the dresser with its white scarf its tidy comb and brush and various ornaments its washstand with bowl and pitcher of heavy white ware its enlarged pictures of cora's father and mother and the rag rugs on the floor the children's room which now she was to share appeared to be a place for putting everything that was crowded out from the other rooms trunks boxes broken chairs old toys the front room used as a sitting-room and as a guest chamber had a company bed a marble-topped centre table with an ornate lamp on it a showy red carpet some rocking chairs a round stove and a what-not in the corner revealing a collection of odds and ends the front room she discovered was cora's pride bev wanted me to let you have this for your room but i told him you could just as well sleep in with the young uns i wanted to keep this nice for company remarked cora letty flushed of course i can just as easily sleep with the children she murmured but the prospect dismayed her never in all her life had she habitually shared her room with another of course when a girl came to spend the night with her they had slept together in order to be sociable 
but that was different. She thought of her own room at home, with its mahogany four-poster bed, its high-boy and dresser, its white, ruffled curtains, its bookcase, its braided rugs, so dainty, so immaculate. A room for daydreams and visions. Not even her mother had entered without knocking. Cora broke in on her memories by a curt direction. You can round up them young steers and try to teach em something. I'll set down to the sewing machine and run up some clothes for the baby. So Letty began her task as governess. No easy job, for the children were restless, resentful at sitting still, and she soon learned that while their minds were quick, their training had been sketchy. Bev's tried to teach him at night, but when he rides the range all day, he's wore out. And I got to have some chance to talk to him myself, Cora explained. So a teacher who didn't know how to teach had to take care of children who didn't know how to study. I don't see the sense in studying anyhow, complained Dan, shying his arithmetic at Junior, thus precipitating a scuffle which was settled by a cuff at both from the mother. I don't need to know books, he growled. But you will when you're a man, expostulated the inexperienced teacher. Nah, I won't either. I'm going to be a cowboy like Uncle Alf. He ain't educated, and he's got a first-class ranch. Alf's my oldest brother, Cora observed with pride. Junior interrupted to express his ambitions. I'm going to be sheriff and tote a gun. You don't need learning for that, except maybe a little, I reckon. Well, maybe I'll be a Texas ranger to arrest bandits and cattle thieves and, and murderers. I'm a-going to be quick on the trigger. Alice slipped her hand shyly into Letty's. I'll study, she said, as if feeling that the teacher would be hurt by a unanimous opposition to books. So Letty perceived that she would have need of much patience and tact and intelligence to teach these youngsters who were so full of ebullient life and so little used to disciplined thinking. And she was so ill-fitted for such a task. Her education had been gained chiefly from desultory reading for pleasure among her father's books and those that she could borrow in the village, with no thorough drill in other branches, wobbly in arithmetic, for instance, and not to be counted on in geography or any of the sciences. Not till she faced seriously the immediate job of teaching others had she realized how little, how desperately little, she herself knew. And now there was no way that she could advance herself, out here on this desert plain, away from books or schools. But she would study hard in the children's school books, and do what she could to learn. For she must make good at teaching the children, since that was her excuse for being in Cousin Beverly's home, the home that was Cora's too, as much as his, maybe even more. And she must do the best she could for those children who were Cousin Beverly's, whom she loved for his sake to begin with. So the first few days wore on. 
Letty looked forward eagerly to the dark when Cousin Beverly would come in, but he was generally tired from his day in the saddle and had little energy for conversation, and so they all generally went to bed early. How different from the long, delightful evenings around the fireplace in the old drawing-room at home before mother was sick, when the family and whatever company was there would sit up and talk endlessly about all manner of interesting topics till one hated to stop for sleep at all. But in those days there had been a negro mammy to bring you breakfast in bed the next morning if you wished, and so one could indulge in late evenings without loss of energy. How far away, how long ago that life seemed. On Sunday there was a break in the routine, for, to begin with, they all slept later than usual and had a more leisurely breakfast. Then, in the middle of the morning, they saw two men riding up on horseback to the ranch, Lige and another. Cora spied them through the window and threw open the door to welcome them. "'Well, if here ain't old sourdough,' she called with loud, hearty voice. "'Light and hitch and come in, boys.' The two men came in and shook hands awkwardly with Letty. Their hands seemed self-conscious, their huge boots embarrassed by a sense of social inadequacy in the presence of this strange young lady. The newcomer announced with an attempt at casualness of manner, Lige here said as there was a girl here as pretty as red shoes and prettier too, so I had to come and see if he was lying. He paused a moment to look her over and then added, He wasn't. The children laughed uproariously at his wit, and Letty gave an exhibition of her blushing that did not bring a disclaimer from Sourdough as to his previous sentiments. When Letty's colour had subsided enough so that she could see clearly, she scanned the newcomer. He was shorter than Lige, but even at that he was tall, as all these western men seemed to be. What was there in the climate that made them so? The air of the west seemed to affect the man as it did the jackrabbits, so that they were elongated, yet not out of proportion, for they were not gangling at all. Maybe the little men couldn't stand the life there and quit. Sourdough was stockier of build and had red hair, almost the colour of nasturtiums that reached back from his forehead, and blue eyes, rather small, but bright and twinkling and alive, and roving with a gay, impudent curiosity. There wouldn't be much that would escape those two blue eyes if they were on the lookout. But his costume was what finally chained Letty's attention, for it was different from anything she had ever seen or imagined. His shirt was a brilliant red and green stripe, with celluloid collar and a red crocheted tie that must surely have been the handiwork of some feminine admirer of his in the West, a tie held in place by a ring of cow's horn slipped over it. He had a belt of rattlesnake skin, and his gay blue trousers were stuffed into his boots, boots of a high, ornate character, with astonishing heels, and with spurs that jangled at each step he took, and he appeared to be fidgety, 
as if to show off the rattle of his spurs. He still held in his hand a broad-brimmed felt hat, encircled with a silver cord. "'Will you trust your fine ten-gallon hat to a nail for a while?' Cora inquired. He grinned. "'Well, um, I might, if twas a nail near enough for me to keep my eyes on it. I bought this here sombrero off an a Mexican, and I don't want to take no rash chances with it.' He hung it meticulously on a nail back of the door. Lige here tried to sneak away from me, to come up here by himself to see you, he confided to Letty. But I was too fisty for him. I didn't see no sense in having him tag round after me everywhere as I go, grumbled Lige. So I just got on my old plug ugly and started off. It didn't look like no great snakes to me to stay at home by myself, as lonesome as a bed-bug, so I saddled my cayuse and lit out after him. He saw me come in hell to split and spurt his old horse, but I poured the quirt to my clay bank and caught up with him. Cora laughed and slapped him on the back. <laughs> Good enough. I bet on sourdoughs rising to the occasion. The talk of the morning was good-humoured and noisy. Cora and Sourdough did most of it, elbowing the others out ruthlessly, to engage in their exchange of county gossip and humorous badinage, which gave them prodigious pleasure, if one might judge from their smiles and outbursts of hearty laughter. It was evident that Sourdough was a special favourite with her. As Letty listened with interest to their talk, she tried to analyse the delight it held for these two. They possessed something in kinship with each other, the same exuberant vitality of physical health and abounding spirits, the same noisy sense of humour that lay close to the surface, that broke forth in uproarious laughter at each other's jokes, and interrupted to go one better. Something of the same ego that appeared to take it for granted that the company would best be entertained by expressions of that ego. As she listened, Letty revised her earlier impressions of Lige, who at first had seemed to her to be noisy and rough, but who now, by contrast, appeared quiet and restrained. Or had he been less restrained when he was with her alone? At least he wasn't pushing like sourdough, he didn't knock you down with his personality as Cora did. Even Cora seemed to notice at last that Lige was somewhat silent. "'You ain't talkin' today,' she accused him. "'Took of our silence over anything, eh?' "'How can I talk with this blab-mouthed partner of mine along? I'd need a battle-axe to break into this colloque. "'To hear him tell it, you'd think I blow my head and horns off,' countered Sourdough. Well, I'd say there are some folks that don't know the value of silence. They opine that silence is like promises and pie-crust, just made to be broke, drawled Lige. Well, there's too gold darned much silence in my days. You go round like Mr. Tightface, never opening your mouth sometimes for hours at a time, or else me riding the range and nobody to talk to but jackrabbits and steers. So when I get a chance to confab, why, I just feel like tearing off as much talk as I can. 
When I'm round ladies, I ain't no oyster. And lockjaw's the last disease you'll die of, retorted Lige. When dinner was ready, Cora said vivaciously, You all come into the kitchen and see if you got lockjaw. That's a welcome sound, said Lige as he straightened his tall form up from the rocking chair where it had been confined. I'm so hungry my stomach thinks my throat's cut. I'm starved too, till my belly's sticking to my backbone, corroborated Sourdough. This has been Sourdough's week to cook, as why we are so famished, explained Lige gravely. Sourdough responded with spirit. I don't see why you got to put out that poison about me being a bum cook. The prairie dogs and ground squirrels don't die like they do when you throw out your failures. Put up your pistols, boys. It's too dark to fight, said Cora. Late in the afternoon, when the two cowboys decided reluctantly that they must start for home, the others walked out to the road to see them depart. Sourdough swaggered up to his horse and vaulted into the saddle like a circus performer. Letty watched him with keen interest for the novelty of his character. His costume now was that merely the western male's gay plumage put on to impress the visiting girl from a distance, or did he always dress like that on Sundays and holidays? And this exhibition of horsemanship, was it customary with him, or was he merely trying to show off before company? As he caught the reins in his hands, the horse began a demonstration of rage that was indeed novel to her. He reared up on his hind legs, pawed the air with his forefeet viciously, as if determined to throw his rider. Failing in that attempt, he put his nose to the ground and threw his hind legs into the air, as if surely in that way he would unseat the vexatious rider. He whirled and sprang high into the air with whinnies of rage, his whole body trembling. Letty caught her breath in terror of what must happen to the reckless man trying to ride the beast. But Sourdough sat in his saddle unperturbed, laughing aloud and taunting his horse. So you think you can throw me, do you, you old bag of bones? The horse ain't been folds that can ever throw me. Oh, he'll be killed, cried Letty in a panic to Lige who stood beside her. Can't you do something to save him? No chance, jeered Lige. Don't be scared. I's just put on to show off before you. He's doing it a purpose. He's goosing his horse. What do you mean? She gasped, still taut with terror at the bronco's bucking. He laughed. He stuck his thumb in a sensitive spot under the horse's shoulder. That sets him crazy and makes him cut up. That's what we call goose in a horse. At that instant, as if to prove his perfect control of his steed, Sourdough gave a loud yell, drove his spurs into his horse's flanks, and the animal gave a wild bolt down the sandy waste. He circled and came back to show that he could ride as he wished. He stopped his quivering horse in front of Letty, stood in his saddle, and uttered a suspicion of yells. Whoopee! 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 Tie-yay-yay! 
then he yelped like a coyote while he goosed his horse again at last like a small boy that is tired of his egoistic exhibition he cut his spurs into the horse's sides and dashed off and away his whoopee whoopees floating back and one hand waving his silver-rimmed ten-gallon hat in wild circles round his head what an extraordinary person ejaculated letty light grinned yep just bustin full o life like a youngster consarn his hide he ain't left a single trick for me an old sandstorm to pull off to impress you with who's sandstorm that's my horse he's the color o sand you see and he can go like a norther when he wants to good-bye all what sourdough's horse named letty inquired of him marahuana that's a mexican weed that has intoxicating properties light mounted his steed nonchalantly as if indeed unwilling to try any fancy stunts after sourdough's performance touched his quirt to his hat and set off in a run after his partner coyote howls floated back on the wind and Lige's voice curled round them in cowboy yells as if not to be utterly outdistanced and outdone whoopee yip yip tie yai end of chapter three